Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. Hola, senores and senoritas. This is Aaron with the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. And we are back quickly with another episode. I just did one last week. And I said from the beginning that I wasn't going to do more than one episode every other week. But then a brother reached out to me last night and he was asking me, had I heard of this podcast that had been released about why expository preaching is essential? And I was like, well, uh, no, I haven't heard about that, but I can make one just for you if you want. So uh, I'm fulfilling that request. I thought this is something I can do that's pretty quick and easy, um, something that I don't have to come up with material on per, per se because I have material on it already. So we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. Um, as always, this episode is brought to you by 5MinuteBibleStudy.com. Go and check it out if you haven't already. Uh, this week's ad... Um, oh, yeah. Seven Essential Bible Study Resources is an article that I wrote a few years ago, actually not long into starting the website, I don't believe, back in 2017, 18-ish. And I just looked back at it and I revised it. I um, gave some more explanations to the resources I had. I switched out a couple of them, and it's back up and fresh again. So go check that out. And if you need some Bible study resources, these are all free. That's the nice thing about it. That's what I was going for. There's other better resources than what I have in the article. I mean, in general, there are some better ones, but there aren't better ones that I know of which are free and all accessible easily online. So it's not something you have to order a book. It's not something that you have to uh, spend a lot of money on. That's why I like this particular list of seven. As far as the agenda for today's episode, I'm going to stick with the traditional format. We're going to have a Bible story. We're going to talk about David avenging the Gibeonites in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. If you did want to go back and fact check me, because you know how I am. I sometimes add some details for dramatic effects. Go double check me and, and get the actual words right. Um, commercial break after that. We're going to be giving an ad for this new therapy that I'm offering, PDA therapy. More on that in a little bit. And then the main dish, why expository preaching is a must, the name of this episode. So stick around for the main dish if that's why you truly came on. And we will get down to Bible stories next. So like I said, the story of David avenging the Gibeonites, that's King David, the same one that, you know, threw a rock between the eyes of the ugly, hairy giant Goliath. Well, 2 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 10, gives us a really neat story, really kind of a gruesome story, but I've always appreciated it and enjoyed it because of a, a special individual at the end of the story named Rizpah, which we'll get to at the end of the story. Okay. So, at this point in David's life, King Saul has not been dead tremendously long, if I remember correctly. And um, there's a famine that has arisen in the land for three years. And, you know, today, if you had a famine, we wouldn't know. There's really no way we would know, is this by the providence of God? But in that day, they had prophets, and David inquires of the Lord through the prophets or the Urim and the Thummim, and he says, Lord, what's up with this? And the Lord answers by whatever medium, like the prophets or whatever. He says, it's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. Now, some history of Israel will help in this. If you go back to, I believe it is either, yes, it's in the book of Joshua. 
uh, Joshua chapter 9, you can go back and you can read about how Israel was starting to invade the land of Canaan, and then these Gibeonites come, and they kind of deceive Joshua and the people of Israel into making a treaty with them to protect them from annihilation. So anyways, that goes way back. There's been this treaty, but unfortunately Saul, the Bible says, in his zeal for Israel, killed the Gibeonites. I mean, he didn't wipe them off the face of the map, obviously, because they're still here, but he did break that oath, and he killed many Gibeonites. Anyway, so this is the reason that God has cursed Israel with this famine for three years, and there's got to be some type of peace made in order for it to subside. And so David sends messengers to the Gibeonites, and he says, what do we need to do? Hey, bro, what's up? And and they're, they're like, uh, well, you know what would really be nice? Saul, that jerk, that broke this oath in the first place, we would really like you to give us seven of his sons to hang in the wide open for everyone to see. <laughs> kind of vengeful, a little bit, uh, they, they kind of hold grudges a little bit. And so David's, he doesn't even like hesitate that much. Now, I'm sure he does. It, there's really nothing to indicate in the scriptures that he he didn't hesitate. I say that. It just it reads so fluidly. You're like, oh, he's like, okay, well, let's do it. I'm sure it hurt him a little bit, because when you ever look at interactions between Saul and David, he always is, um, you know, erring on the side of caution and doesn't want to hurt the Lord's anointed, doesn't want to touch the family of his best friend, Jonathan, or his uh, well-respected king, Saul, even though he's a bad, bad man. So anyways, he goes and he gets seven sons. He does spare Mephibosheth because he had already made an oath to Mephibosheth. So there was more than seven sons. In fact, some of these include grandsons. And he takes seven of them and gives them to the Gibeonites. They hang them on a hill all together for everyone to see, and they stay hanging for the shame of the house of Saul. But there's this woman named Rizput. You've probably never heard of Rizpah. If you've not read your Bible all the way through, you've definitely not heard of her. She's never talked about that I know of in sermons that I've ever heard. Um, but anyways, this woman, she's only mentioned here in one other place, as this story is recounted elsewhere, and she's the mother of some of these, uh, two of these sons that were just hung. So she goes out there, and she takes sackcloth, which is the attire of somebody mourning, and she spreads it for herself on a rock in front of these bodies. And it, the Bible says from the beginning of harvest until the late rains. And I don't really know. I haven't done the math on this. I haven't gone back to see exactly how long that is. But I can take it pretty safely to say that this is days, weeks, and potentially months. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay safe. And let's just say this is probably weeks that she sits there with this sackcloth spread, and she protects the bodies of her sons and her other relatives from the birds of the air and the beasts of the field by night. The beasts of the field. Remember that story about David, how he beat off bears and lions that were trying to attack his flock? Well, you got here a woman who is at least willing to beat off bears and lions for the bodies of these sons. You can imagine as they begin to rot, they're going to draw um, carnivores and stuff, and it's, it's an amazing story of the love that she had for her sons, for her family, and the great godly example that, that she set forth. It even says in verse 11 that David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, had done, the concubine of Saul. And, and he went and he uh, took the bodies, the bones of Jonathan and, and Saul, and he moralized them after that event. So just a really neat story, kind of just plugged in there, short. 
I hope this, like some of the other Bible stories, is getting you more familiar with parts of your Bible that you've maybe missed in story form. And so let me know if you enjoyed this story and would like more obscure stories like it. Okay, commercial break and then main dish coming up. This episode is brought to you by PDA Therapy. Do you have lots of friends getting engaged? I know I do. It's just getting to be a little bit too much. <laughs> Does some of them make long, affectionate posts on social media that make you have to lay your head in the toilet bowl? I've been there a lot. This is a risk to your health, emotionally and physically. Toilet bowls can get pretty gross. <laughs> so there are cutting-edge studies coming out that social media users are experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder from repeated traumatic exposure to mushy-gushy word vomit. I know how you feel. I've experienced this. PTSD related to public displays of affection never really go away. You just learn to cope with it over time and with help. And speaking of that, I am an unofficially unlicensed PDA therapist, and I'm offering you my services free of charge for only $5.99 per session. Don't let your friends make you sick any longer. Learn how to cope. Reach out to my hotline by visiting pdarecovery.fakenews.com to get immediate help, and I promise to respond to your urgent help request within 72 hours. This is a fake ad. PDA is a real problem, though. Okay, back on the main dish, and we are ready to talk about why expository preaching is a must. So the brother that reached out to me, I hope you don't mind me mentioning your name, Brother Monty Wood, good friend of mine from California, texted me last night, and I was really glad that he did because, you know, I was thinking uh, months ago that I, I needed to probably talk about expository preaching. I was talking with a sister in the church, actually, about what is expository preaching. She kind of was asking me what my thoughts were on it. Um, sometimes you kind of get two schools of thought, really, and, and they're typically divided between topical preaching and what's called expository preaching. But unfortunately, more often than not, people just say the phrase expository preaching. They don't explain it. There's not any real definition given. It's one of those things that people bark really loud, like, we need expository preaching, but then they don't necessarily explain what that is. And in fact... What I've found sometimes is is people will uh, call for this as a need, but they obviously don't know what it is because their preaching does not reflect it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not naming names. I'm not going to get any more specific than that. I'm just saying to express the point that there is really some obscurity around this fancy phrase. And so if you've heard about it a lot, but you can't give a good definition to it, that's okay, and we're going to get into that today. I'm not saying I'm an expert on this by any means, but I, uh, I feel like in my studies and in my meditating on this, I have at least been able to get past the surface to some of the flaws in our, in our uh, ideology about what is proper biblical preaching, and particularly expository preaching. Okay, so let's get first into what it is, giving some good definitions I have several books on my shelf about preaching and some about expository preaching. There's actually a good book. If you want to read about this, it's called Why Expository Preaching, and I could not find my copy of it. I've given it away, obviously, or let somebody borrow it. The guy's name is Jackman. That's his last name. I think it's David Jackman, but I know I know for sure it's Jackman is his last name. So go find that. It's a little bitty book. Like It's, it's small, and I know you like small books. I like small books. Well, it's one of those... So you can read it pretty quickly, and if nothing else, at the very end of it, it has 
eight sermons, four, uh, basically eight types of sermons that you either should or should not give. I think that you should not give. But anyways, one of them is like the the sermon that doesn't address the preacher himself, the sermon that's not prayed for, the sermon that's never replied, and goes down the list. So I really like that last part in the appendix. But go get that book, read it. It's pretty good. My brother gave it to me. I think it was last year or the year before. But I have a few other books. One is a uh, book about preaching by Haddon Robinson. And in that, he gives this definition. Now, this is a technical definition, and we're going to try to give a more simple definition, but I think it's helpful to think about the technical definition, and it's a good definition, okay? Expository preaching, according to Haddon, Haddon Robinson, is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through him to his hearers. So there's a lot to break down there if we really wanted to do it all. I just want to draw attention to a couple of things there, okay? So if you will notice, I think key notes there are, this is explaining a passage in its context. That's central to the issue, okay? Explain the passage to its context. I like what he adds there at the end. I think it's very important. It applies not only to the preacher himself, but the hearers also. And I think typically we think his application, and we see that his application is often to the hearers and maybe doesn't address the preacher himself. He may not verbalize this. He doesn't necessarily have to verbalize this. But if he truly is doing expository preaching, he's going to have to do some self-reflection, and it's just going to be organic. One other thing to take note of is Haddon Robinson's definition is a bit unique from others in that he says this is the communication of a biblical concept. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. The difference between restricting expository preaching to breaking down a singular verse as opposed to taking a biblical concept which runs the course of Scripture and is found in many different verses, but explaining whatever verses you're going to explain on this biblical concept, explaining those in context. And so I like how he puts it, the communication of a biblical concept, to allow you that, that variety and that goes beyond just simply verse-by-verse verse exposition. Now to supplement this, John MacArthur in his book called Expository Preaching, original, <laughs> says the English word group is expose, exposition, expositor, expository. According to Webster, an exposition is a discourse to convey information or explain what is difficult to understand. So if you look it up in your English dictionary, there you go. We're talking about explaining something that's difficult to understand, not even within the context of Scripture or religion, right? But in this context, we are talking about it in the context of Scripture. And so applying this idea to preaching, it requires that an expositor, or the preacher in this case, is a person who explains the Scripture, laying it open, uh, laying it open to the public's view in order to just put forth its meaning, explain what's difficult in the text, help them to understand it, and then to make appropriate application. That's kind of John MacArthur's takeaway from the English definition, and I think that is helpful. Now, with all that said, I will try to give you a very simple working definition. From all that, like I said, those are a bit technical. I want to try to give you something that's easy to munch on and easy to put in your pocket. So my definition is only five words. 
You should already like the sound of that. <laughs> Explaining the text in context. That's expository preaching. Now, there's other things that are implied within that. One thing that's not explicitly mentioned in that, or maybe even implied, is the point that the text needs to be applied after it's explained in its context, okay? That needs to be understood, and so if, if there's a case to be made that I leave that out of my definition, then I do want you to understand that. I'm not saying that if you explain a text in its context and then you just, you're done, that you've done your job as an expositor or as a preacher. No, you've only finished maybe a third of what is your job. But I believe that definition gives you what you need right there. Um, explain the text in context. So the passage of Scripture, you're not just reading it and then going off and talking about something that's completely unrelated to what the text said. Or maybe there's a key word, and that key word is an igniter for something that that is associated with that keyword, but really not associated with what the Scripture itself is teaching. In order to, to know if a Scripture is fitting for what you want to say, you have to know what the Scripture is actually saying in the first place. Otherwise, you're going up at a very high risk of taking a Scripture to teach what you want it to teach rather than what it actually teaches, or ripping it out of its context. We'll talk about other related things here in just a little bit. Um, I wanted to expound on that just a little bit by actually going back to John MacArthur's book. He had these five things um, that he summarizes core elements, basically minimal elements that uh, pertain to expository preaching. So his five minimal elements for expository preaching are, number one, the message finds its sole source in Scripture. Okay, straightforward, and I think that's very important. The message is extracted from Scripture through careful exegesis, and exegesis is um, interpretation of what the passage is saying, okay? Number three, the message preparation correctly interprets Scripture in its normal sense and its context. We've talked about that already. Important. Number four, the message clearly explains the original God-intended meaning of Scripture. Not the one that you came up with, but the one that God infused in the text, right? That's number four. And number five, the message applies the scriptural meaning for today. So that's the part that I said, very important. I may not include my definition, but if it doesn't apply it to your audience today, then all of this is fruitless. And a lot of people talk about, they want to dwell so much on the last part about application, which is very important. Um, and they say, we want applicable preaching. What they mean a lot of times by that is they want preaching that is entirely applicable without explanation of a text behind the application. Does that even make sense? Basically, application to the to the detriment of explaining Scripture in its context. And so uh, a sermon that's 100% relevant, meaning 100% not explaining Scripture. And there's a quote that I have. I shared it on 5-Minute Bible Study recently, and I think this gets to the heart of the matter, jiving application with exposition. And that is, ask yourself before preaching the Word, do I need the Bible for what I'm about to say? Many preachers are simply motivational speakers, psychologists, and senseis mixed with a scriptural quote here and there. You don't need the Bible for that. Explain the text first, and then mix in a motivational quote if you want. Explain the text first, and then make application. Not if you want, like, do that. That's, that's necessary. But at the end of the day, you need to be preaching the word. And if you're not preaching the word, then you're not, you're not doing what Paul told 
Paul and Timothy to do. Preach the Word. That's not using Scripture as a pretext to say what you wanted to say from the very beginning, but not what the text led you to say, not what the Holy Spirit in that case led you to say through the Word. Now, I'm going to round back here, and then we'll, we're kind of jumping back and forth uh, in cyclic waves here, if you want to think of it like that. I want to go back to the two categories that I introduced at the beginning of this main dish, and that is the two categories of preaching. That is topical preaching and expository preaching. Well, within that second category, expository preaching, there is also, and maybe to your surprise, there is also different types of expository preaching. And I think that's where a lot of confusion lies. I think a lot of people get upset with, or maybe not even get upset, they get tired of quote-unquote expository preaching because it is misrepresented. And maybe it's never fully explained to them. So I think within expository preaching, there are two different types at least, and one would be the one that most people think of, and that is systematic exposition. Systematic exposition being the proper name for verse by verse. And so typically, you've heard of chapter studies being kind of the model child for expository preaching. Well, I just want you to understand and take a, a sigh of relief. Is that right? <laughs> Take a, a breath of relief and understand that all expository preaching does not have to be verse by verse. And a lot of times, verse by verse teaching that is camouflaged and labeled as expository preaching is not expository preaching at all. Okay? Just because you're going th through the first 10 verses of Matthew 22 does not mean that you're explaining the text whatsoever. What happens a lot of times is that people will read a verse... And then they'll say whatever they want it to say and use a few similar buzzwords that were from the, the verse, making it sound as if they're preaching from the verse, but they're really not. That's what happens a lot of times. And I'm not trying to be overly critical here. My, my tone of voice <laughs> sounds like I'm being overly critical. I'm just trying to express that this is what happens often, and I don't want you to walk away with a bad taste in your mouth of what expository preaching is, because maybe you've been living with that in your mouth for a while, and you just haven't been shown what good expository preaching is. Because there's good and bad of everything. And maybe you've just been exposed to bad. And I'd say a lot of times, that's what all that people hear is, is the bad and not the good on this particular topic. So besides systematic exp exposition, there's also selective exposition. And it took me a while to, to realize that this category even existed, really. But that's where you basically select sex sections of Scripture. Not necessarily, you don't have to stay within one chapter of the Bible. Uh, you don't have to stay within one verse of the Bible. You can select sections of Scripture. As long as you're explaining the meaning of that Scripture in its context, and you're relating them, and, and the, well, they truly do all relate, okay? They have to all relate. They can't just randomly select Scripture, but you select Scriptures purposefully that all relate. You explain them in their context. Uh, they all have a common theme. Biblical theology is a big word used in academic circles that captures this. For example, the concept of the Davidic covenant runs the, the course of Scripture from 2 Samuel 7 onward, and, and really hints of it before then. For example, God told Abraham that a king was going to come from him. I think he told it to Sarah and Rachel. Um, so the idea of a king there is present from Genesis, I think chapter 17 it is maybe. And then you see more, uh, the Balaam Oracle in Numbers 23-ish, 
talks about a king coming from from the nation of Israel. And then finally you get the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, given to David. One of his sons would rule on the throne, on his throne, and would have dominion and power and all that. Then Daniel brings it up in Daniel chapter 7 as well, in the Son of Man vision. And then you see Jesus coming along of the seed of David. Many people call him the Son of David. And then you see him reigning as king in Stephen's vision in Acts chapter 7, and it just keeps going on. You see, there's lots of scripture there that teach the running theme of the Davidic covenant and Christ ruling as the son of David. And if you could just take 2 Samuel 7 and explain the Davidic covenant and all that, but it would be properly within your right and to the advantage of everyone present if you took these select passages that all relate to this common theme you showed how they related to one another. You explained the passages, each one in their context as well. And through that, you have selective exposition, as I call it. Instead of you stay within 10 verses that run back to back to back, verse by verse. Both are or can be expository preaching. And also both can be improperly handled and quickly evolve into what is just topical potluck, you know? It, it can be mishandled very easily. And so you just have to sit back and listen to the preacher, the expositor, as we're calling him, and just ask yourself, is he actually explaining the text in context? If he's not doing that at all, then I don't care what else is involved. He's not teaching expositorily. And then if he's teaching it in context, but he like the scriptures, like if he's tr- doing selective exposition, where you select a lot of different scriptures that all relate. But so he's explaining the scriptures in context, but really that the scriptures actually don't actually relate to one another, then he's failed. And if, if he does all that, but he doesn't apply it to the audience and to himself, then he's failed. Okay, so there's lots of, there's lots of uh, different ways that you can go off board here. And you say that you support expository preaching, you think it's really important or it's a must or you're doing it, but you're actually not. So I hope all that helps explain a few things. We'll try to make it a little more clear with a few more busting some myths and talking about the disadvantages of topical preaching in just a moment. I will say before we move on, last episode, episode 14, I talked about Bible study fallacies, the either-or fallacy. Well, here's another example, just connecting this episode with the last. A lot of people will say that preaching is either verse-by-verse exposition or it's topical. Now, you should know from this episode up to this point that that's a false statement. But not only is it a false statement, it's an either-or fallacy. They're saying it's either verse-by-verse exposition or it's topical. Well, that doesn't really present the full spectrum. It could be verse-by-verse exposition, or it could be selective exposition, or it could be topical. There's a third option available at the very least, perhaps even more. But... um. Teacher, uh, teaching either explains the text in context or it's topical. That would be a better statement right there. Teaching either explains the text in its context or it's topical. So just uh, a little help there on either or fallacies. But let's go on, and we'll be done here pretty shortly. Um, let's bust a few myths about expository preaching that I think these really need to be addressed because people, I think, first of all, they think expository preaching is always boring. And... And it goes back to maybe you've always, maybe you just assume that has to be verse by verse, and all the verse by verse preaching you've heard is boring. Well, I've heard a lot of boring verse by verse studies. 
A lot of times this is the result of teachers are really not taught how to teach. The uh, teach commit these things to faithful men. Second Timothy chapter two verses one through two. Paul tells Timothy is not actually practiced because giving somebody a Bible, telling them you can do this, and maybe a Bible dictionary and a Vines expository dictionary, uh, that's not teaching somebody how to teach. And a lot of times that's what happens. And as a result, it's boring. It's super boring. And maybe over time, through trial and error, that is corrected, and it's no longer boring. But a lot of times, verse by verse especially, is boring because there's not a lot of training that goes into it. And I think there's a lot misunderstood about it in general. Um, Another myth to bust is that expository preaching isn't practical. Well, if there's no application being made, then I would say it's just a failure of an attempt at so-called expository preaching. And so if it isn't practical, I I want you to understand that it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe that's all you've been used to, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I hope that teachers listen to this episode, if you are a teacher at a local congregation, and you share this with other teachers and preachers, because I feel like, really, um, these are two big myths that a lot of people have in your congregations even, And maybe you're not aware of them, but they truly do have these. They think it has to be boring because you're boring, (laughs) maybe. They think it it can't be practical because you don't ever make it practical. Well, don't stop with just explaining the text. Explain how this then applies to the audience in a very usable way. And then one more myth that, and we could probably think of others, but expository preaching is dry and unemotional. Well, I'm not necessarily... So there's nothing wrong with emotion. Okay, it's when you prioritize emotion over, in this particular discussion, explaining scriptures to where you have then just an emotionally laden sermon with no real uh, bread of life in there, right? Emotion is good. God gave us emotion. And sometimes we talk as if emotion is bad. I don't want you to get the impression from anything that I say that emotion is bad. It is bad when you let emotion be your directive in life. When you let emotion and feelings replace the Word of God for your direction in life, and you think that God is speaking to you because of how you feel in a moment, that's very, very dangerous. But uh, expository preaching doesn't have to be dry, and it doesn't have to be unemotional. Now, there's some guys that just aren't emotional in their preaching, and it's just their personality. They're not emotional in anything, and you can't really break, uh, you can't really criticize them for that. That's just, you know, it's different personalities, and some people like that, and some people don't. So maybe, maybe a teacher is just not for you, and that's okay. doesn't mean that he's bad or anything, but nonetheless, I just want you to understand that this is a myth that all expository preaching has to be dry and unemotional. It doesn't. Now, those are just a few myths that I wanted to address. Let's get on to back, uh, topical preaching and, and some of the disadvantages of topical preaching. We've really just kind of put that to the side, not talked about it a whole lot, topical preaching that is. Let's address that for just a minute. I have one, two, three, four, five, six disadvantages to topical preaching. And again, this was a pretty hurried list. I could probably think of more, but hopefully this will get the ball rolling and you can think of more. Get back to me with more if you come up with them. The biggest one that's always been impressed upon me, and this was impressed upon me by my father a lot, uh, and I think you just can't argue with this. If you were to go at your own whim and pleasure about which topics to talk about, 
it's going to be pretty limited, and there's going to be huge swaths of Scripture that will never be taught. And I think there is something to be said for teaching through the Bible systematically. Now, I have not done that. I have thought a lot about it and how to do it in an effective manner. I'm you know, I'm 29 years old. I've been preaching for three years, and I, I really got to think about as a preacher and and it's the congregation that I stand in its pulpit twice a month. I got to think about teaching through the Bible systematically so that they hear the whole Word of God. I think that's a real responsibility on my part, and um, that's something that you know should make every preacher and every teacher lose a little bit of sleep at least about, because if you're strictly going at it topically, you're going to just miss huge swaths because they don't interest you. And that's why you didn't pick them, because they didn't interest you. But when you actually study them, there's a lot of Scripture that didn't interest me, maybe some assignments I I was given, and then later I found out this was really beneficial, and I was glad that I did it. One was when Brother Ron Corder gave me the consecration of the high priest. He wanted me to deliver this as a presentation at the winter study in Michigan when I was up there living with him. And I thought, man alive, how this is so dry and so boring, and how am I going to get anything out of this to preach about, you know? By the time it was over, it was over an hour presentation. I loved it. I learned so much. It was very helpful to my understanding of sanctification and atonement and the holiness of God. And there was a lot of application to be made, but I never would have studied that on my own unless he had told me he wanted me to present that because it, it didn't interest me. And huge swaths of Scripture, like I said, will just be overlooked because they don't interest you. And that's terrible, because if it's all inspired, if it's all the Word of God, then may that, that never be said. Another disadvantage is that the topical preaching usually ends up focusing more on the teacher's thoughts and his opinions and motives rather than the message that emanates from the text of Scripture itself. And an example of that is whenever you're driving down the road and you see something, like you see a man help a woman up off the ground, and you think, well, that would make a great sermon. I've heard people say that before. Maybe that would make a great illustration in a sermon. Maybe that would make a great minor point in a sermon. But don't take that and make your sermon around something you saw in nature or in your common day life. That's not letting the text be the center of Scripture, and if we're to preach the Word, and that's the point of the pulpit, then that's a very misdirected uh, method to go about, I, I would say. Usually topical preaching ends up focusing more on the teacher's thoughts and something he thought about, and so let's make a sermon about that, than I read this from Scripture. It's truly inspired me and made me think more. Let's make a sermon about that. Usually it doesn't work that way. Another disadvantage is that it panders to the same 50 or so scriptures that the teacher is already comfortable with. And I can attest to this. When I've been forced in short time periods to come up with a lesson, you fall back on the scriptures that you're so familiar with, the ones that you had memorized as a child, the ones that uh, come to your mind, and so you quickly search them into Google, and there they are, keywords, phrases that you've heard a hundred times. And so you, if you were to break down some teacher's sermons you might find that it's the same 50 to 60 verses recycled over and over with different titles under the guise that these are different sermons, and maybe there are different sermons within it, but overall, the text of Scripture is not really being explained at the end of the day beyond a very limited supply. 
And so it's not to that teacher's advantage in learning the Word of God and growing, nor is it to the church's advantage. Another strong disadvantage is that topical preaching is strongly associated with citing scriptures out of context. Now, that's just true. Happens a lot, That's and, I, and I've been guilty of this too. <laughs> so I just want you to know that I have committed every one of these errors in my preaching over the years, and I, and I will from time to time if I'm not careful about it. Um, but this type of preaching is just more strongly associated with this than ex- true expository preaching, because true expository preaching is about getting down to the context of the Scripture itself. So by nature, it's going to be less prone to this error, right? Topical preaching is strongly associated with using text of Scripture as a pretext instead of a proof text. So this looks like when a teacher writes a sermon on the board, and he writes a verse underneath it. He reads that verse, but he never explains that verse, and he never returns to the verse to explain it for the rest of his lesson. And by the end of it, you're like, what in the world was that verse have anything to do with your title or the sermon? In fact, I heard a sermon a while back that the title itself didn't have anything to do with the sermon. <laughs> uh, so, but this type of preaching, you know, is prone to that disadvantage—a pretext as opposed to a proof text. And then finally, I'll just finish up here with um, topical preaching decreases the chance. Stay with me on this one a little bit longer. It decreases the chance that the teacher will study scripture that he is unfamiliar with and as a result, discover deficiencies in his own life that would have otherwise gone unnoticed forever. So, for example, I knew that I was going to study Innovations in the Church, a series on Innovations in the Church, and there was a lot there that I had never studied before in depth, and I knew I I had to do a lot of reading and research. One of those was about the development of the missionary society within the Restoration Movement. And so as a result, I got a book that Brother Ronnie Wade had recommended years ago called Walking by Faith by Roy Cogdill, and that verse heavily emphasized Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. So I studied Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, which I wouldn't have done otherwise, and I sought a scriptural explanation of these, a contextual explanation, and through that, I was, I I learned a whole lot more than just about missionary societies. I learned a lot and, and had more questions when I ended than when I started. I, I found some answers to that I had from the beginning, but as a result, I had more questions than when I started. And and the application of that was like, I don't know if I'm comfortable doing this or that anymore. That happens a lot whenever you're d- doing expository study and you come across things that you, you never thought of before because you've maybe you've even heard a verse a thousand times, but you've never stopped to think about the verse. Big difference. And so you learn things that you never would have otherwise. With topical preaching, again, you stick with a short list of verses, and you never really are tested to study and learn things that are unfamiliar to you. So I hope that that's helpful to you. There's a couple of preachers that I—they're my favorite, expository preachers. And, and they teach topically from time to time. So it's not to say that topical preaching is bad, but this brother reached out to me, and he said, you know— why is this a must for churches? That statement is often made in some degree. I don't think there's that topical preaching is altogether wrong. I think it's nice for some variation, mix it up, and some freshness and all that, especially if you're 
just uh, just doing verse by verse, then it's nice to to freshen that up with some topical preaching every now and then. I'm just giving you some of the disadvantages you have to be aware of as you're going about that. But a couple of my favorite expository preachers are Ron Quarter and Kevin Presley. Um, I've grown to appreciate really Kevin Presley's preaching more recently in the last three years, maybe. Not that it was bad before, I guess I just didn't appreciate it <laughs> until the last three years as much as I do now. But those two guys there, they do a good job of explaining Scripture. And Brother Ron is the one that really, as I was living at his house, studying with him for six months, the idea of selective exposition was something that came to me. And I realized, you know, I'd always heard that he was a good expository preacher, but as I paid attention to his preaching, he didn't really stay within one verse all the time. And so I was like, well, how's how's that? And what I had was a misunderstanding. And so I thought about some more, and the idea of selective exposition is just as much expository preaching as systematic exposition, or verse by verse. And he's a good example of that. And you're always going to learn something about the Bible when Ron Quarter preaches, because he is always about explaining the text in context. So hang on to that little definition. I hope that it proves helpful to you. Explaining the text in context is expository preaching, it's the most bare-bones definition. And don't forget that quote that I gave to you. Ask yourself, as an audience member or as the speaker, ask yourself before preaching the Word, do I need the Bible for what I'm about to say? Many preachers are simply motivational speakers, psychologists, and senseis mixed with a scriptural quote here and there. You don't need the Bible for that. Explain the text first and then mix in a motivational quote if you must, but always preach the Word. I hope that this has been helpful to you. Reach out to me if you have any questions and I'll get back to you. That pretty much puts a wrap on this episode. One thing that I've been forgetting to say at the beginning of my episodes, and I just want to plug it in here at the very end, uh, people have reached out to me recently and said they really enjoyed the podcast, and I'm loving you know, the response. I, I, it's really helpful to get that feedback just to know that people are listening, and it helps keep me encouraged and motivated to do more episodes. Um, some of you have expressed a lot of interest in the episodes with Chance Dyer recently. I'm really glad to hear that. That's helpful for Chance to hear that and to be encouraged as well. But if you truly appreciate the website, the resource, the podcast, whatever part of 5-Minute Bible Study that you um, really like, then go and give the the podcast a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever platform you listen to. Give it a, a rating, a good rating, um, comment, like on the social media posts. If you like the episode, actually like it on social media to give it some more voice and, and get it spread better. Comments are great. That really gets posts seen. These are different ways to help five minute Bible study along that don't involve money, that don't involve anything more than the click of a button and maybe two or three clicks of a button. So I would really appreciate that. This resource and effort would really benefit from your assistance that way. Simple, easy, and sweet. Appreciate you listening, and until next time, this is the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast.